0: We can go to another segment now if you want.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, well, I want to get
0: Sean's number.
1: I already said knife for an eye, a tooth for a tooth.
0: Yeah, oh, that, okay. that, that was his response. Well, like that's, that, Sean gave the safer version of my answer and I just wanted to give out my full answer.
1: Yeah, but I believe in capital punishment, so. Okay, or, that's well, a I whole, don't... That's a whole different, that's a whole-
0: different. I believe in capital punishment in theory, but not in practice, that's my problem.
2: Okay. Well, I don't. Well, I do not believe in capital punishment, but okay. Well, I want to theorize his ass behind bars. That's what I want
0: to see. Yeah, Bam's a bitch. Oh. That's totally fine. Um, um. The- <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, okay, say, we'll just
3: switch the two say, camera and let y'all do this out. All right. I'm gonna say, go on say, mute real quick.
2: Bye. Say that to me when I turn into a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello, humans. Welcome to Crocodile Bam's burning desire to purchase a Microsoft Surface. This is episode 23 of Power Report, and I am joined, of course, by the Power Report panel, Bam, Sean, and Caesar. What's up, y'all? Hello. Hey. On this episode, jam-packed Power Report episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, sex scandals that are roiling a lot of the world, especially some um, interesting ones in America with Representative Matt Gates. But I think there's a larger thing being missed um, going on in the land down under we can talk about. But we've also got some stories about what's going on in Myanmar, uh, Georgia, and the onslaught of voting rights that is happening not only in Georgia, but across the country right now. Um, There's numerous bills and there's some studies out um, from that that uh, we'll be able to go over to in a moment. But um, something I definitely want to begin with, if I can here, is um, the Derek Chauvin trials that are happening right now. So Derek Chauvin, the cop who pressed his knee on George Floyd's neck, thus killing him is on trial right now. The trial is um, underway and this is the time we're recording. This is after the first week of that trial. And there was a lot of things that we ended up kind of learning and seeing happen immediately as was going on. You had the prosecution and the defense uh, giving their testimony and talking about things and there were a lot of major takeaways that people were able to kind of get from this, mainly that the public safety officials that were uh, around uh, giving help, like the paramedics who showed up, were kind of shocked by what Derek Chauvin had done. Um, There was kind of a widespread point being made that what Derek Chauvin was doing was very grossly against police procedure, um, flagrantly so, honestly. And a lot of this was to... I mean, I'll go into other aspects of the trial, but a lot of this was meant to not only, you know, prove the case out in front of the people who are—the jurors who are seeing the case, but like all these cases that happen in the public eye, this— case has to unfortunately stand as a symbol for what is going on in the country more broadly as it turns to race relations with Black Americans. Um, a lot of what was on display was on trial and a lot of the purpose of the prosecution seemed to be in response to the misinformation that's going around about um, the Derek Chauvin case, about George Floyd and his like history and that what led up to the um, killing basically giving the idea that he had deserved what was coming to him essentially. And so seeing all that kind of going on, I want to get like folks thoughts about the trial as it's going on so far.
2: There's so many different aspects to this trial that are um, just, I don't know if fascinating is the word, but when it comes to police brutality and like what we're, what we've all been talking about in regards to police culture, There's so many different things. Um, I'll just say like a couple things before everybody chimes in and then maybe we'll come back to some other stuff. But um, about police culture, when we talk about um, the racial aspect in the way that police deal with citizens, um, it's interesting because you might think that hey, you know, there's a Black person being uh, being murdered. Um, you know, what about the Black cops? Like, maybe the Black cops will have some, uh, would, would fight back against that. One of the guys that watched George, one of the police officers that watched George Floyd be murdered is Black. Um, and apparently he was someone who was talking about how he wanted to change the way police culture is in Minneapolis before he got into the force. Uh, sorry bruh it's bigger than you hmm. uh just the diverse nature of those police officers that saw George Floyd get murdered one Asian guy one black guy and then two white guys like there were at no point did any of that matter because what matters for them is like their police gang um also something very interesting that I kind of doubt will be, um, really fleshed out is when the woman uh, Genevieve Hanson, the firefighter, when she uh, was talking about like attempting to step in to help George Floyd or just change the situation and and I, I, I can't remember if it was Derek Chauvin that told her this or one of the other police officers um, and maybe one of you guys know but Told her if you're if you're really a firefighter, then you'll know to mind your business or something of the sort. Um, unbelievable. I'm going to um, I'm going to let everybody else chime in while I go on mute.
3: Um, I think for me, uh, there's definitely a lot of trigger warnings that are associated with watching this trial. I think that a lot of people there's no way you watch the trial and get any sense of like proper proper justice being upheld or like proper procedure all you're getting to do is really realizing for me especially you know a lot of time went by since the george floyd um um, uh, incident happened as well as you know how america reacted to it and when time goes by it feels like sometimes you forget about the pain you felt you forget about what really brought you to react how you wanted to react or do what you had to do or however you responded to to what happened to george floyd and It just brought it all up again. I remember kind of having goosebumps listening. Like my heart rate was kind of going fast, especially when the prosecutor was talking about the time span in which George Floyd was under uh, Chauvin's neck. Um, The time he was um, um, dealing with um, the under the officer's neck, the time George Floyd was like experiencing seizures and the time that, you know, he was basically lifeless. Um, It's crazy. It's really, really shocking, shocking to think about and shocking to hear also the prosecution um, the video I think a lot of us have seen that's trending of uh of uh, the lawyer um, kind of grilling uh all the grilling that was going on it's just it's it's a lot honestly and um, I've had to take breaks myself but I think that it's really important for us to really uh, hope that this trial goes goes forward in, in an appropriate manner and I hope there's no funny business that with the legal system because I know this is the same lawyer that um, got a previous off uh, a previous trial an officer off to I don't know the exact Details on that, I'm off the top of my head. I'm sure Dan does, but yeah. So it, it's it's a lot to take in.
0: Yeah, I don't have the exact details per se on um, whether it was before, but like you're getting to the fact that when people are watching this trial and experiencing it for themselves, like through the context of TV. Yeah, a lot of people are going through. Or I guess we're getting a in window into a lot of the. Like unfiltered black experience um, through the trial, because I think one thing that stood out to me that like I I have to like have some distance from these things, otherwise I can't really cover it in a news way as detailed as I can. Because yeah, there's like a human aspect that gets kind of like rough to pay attention to after a while. But there was a point where one of the bystanders was talking about having guilt for not having intervened in um, what Derek Chauvin was doing for fear of. Uh, the police potentially retaliating against her because she was a black woman.
2: When
1: I look at George Floyd, I look at I look at my dad, I look at my brothers, I look at my cousins,
0: my uncles,
1: because they are all black. I have black. I have a black father. I have a black brother. I have black friends, and I I look at that and I look at. How that could have been one of them. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing and and apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not
0: physically interacting and not saving his life, but it's like it's not what I should have done. It's what he should have done. And then like having to live with that survivor's guilt. There was another man as well, and there's like a viral clip of him breaking down the stand, really able, barely able to give his testimony about the guilt he saw just witnessing what was going on and knowing that to intervene would have been a threat to their lives, but feeling like there was definitely things that could have been done.
1: Mr. I'm not sure if there's water as well. If you need a break to get some water, let me know, and we can take a break. (sighs) May I approach, Your Honor? You may.
0: but now the guilt is on them as survivors for having witnessed all of that and not being able to do anything. When the reframing of guilt has to always be around Derek Chauvin and the police officers and the system that allows police officers to think they can behave in this manner. Um, I think it illustrates for, I think, a lot of people the experience of numbness that I think can be described as um, what black people see when these things and these shootings and these killings keep happening at the hands of police over and over again and nothing gets done. kind of like where like that's the emotion that happens before violence when people feel like they're helpless and there's nothing they can do about it and then like rioting begins to happen quote unquote right but I think yeah there's something interesting about seeing that survivor's guilt and that numbness kind of happen in real time with people because with I mean broadening it to outside the black American experience when you have cases of gun violence as we are starting to see ramp up this year again Um, It's the same feeling of helplessness, knowing that there are easy ways to solve this problem right in front of us, but we're not doing it. And so that's causing a reaction that's causing us to feel like we're guilty, like us as Americans are guilty for like America's gun problem, when in reality, it's the gun lobbies. It's the people in charge who don't want to do anything about that problem because they see political gain for themselves. So I, I just think it's interesting how the trial sort of like illustrated all of those things in real time, I guess. Um, Sean, do you have anything? Any thoughts?
1: Kind of going on with what Dan said Um, the action of having no action is what I like to say with a lot of stuff with America Um, especially stuff with the trial it's really infuriating to um, hear all the testimony that all eyewitnesses had and seeing them just break down and talk about survivor's guilt having all the things that they wanted to do but weren't able to do Um, and then the most of the reading part for me was just the, the paramedic that came by and wanted to help, but then she said that she wasn't able to, like they basically told her to F off more or less. I would have pre- put my hands, um, stacked my hands and pressed chest, his chest.
2: Chest compressions.
1: Chest compressions, correct, yep. yeah.
2: And what's the point of doing chest compressions?
1: Um, pumping, pumping the blood for somebody that's not doing that themselves, um, trying to get a pulse back.
2: And were you able to do that, any of those steps? No, sir. Why weren't you able to do any of that? Because
1: the officers didn't let me in to the scene. I also offered, in my memory, I offered to kind of walk them through it or, or told them, if he doesn't have a pulse, you need to start compressions, and that
2: wasn't done either. And so when, it, well, Is this, are these things that you wanted to do?
1: It would have, it's what I would have done for anybody. Um, and there's a lot of stories of that, not just like with police, but like with other stuff in American culture throughout the, throughout the the standing of an entire country of, of, um, washing things under the rug and stuff. That's just infuriating for human rights in general. But, um. The other thing, too, is it's almost it's almost a year since the incident happened, too, since the death of George Floyd. So the fact that it took this long to get even a trial up is something that always pisses me off with the justice um, system in America, too, of how long it takes for trials to happen. Murder trials or this or that. It's a year, a couple years after even this stuff happened where people forget about it or this. It's just I always like it to, or my, my thing is I want it to be done as quickly as possible and stuff and not have all of the bureaucracies and bullshit take over to then not have justice be done. And one thing that worries me is if the trial goes in a certain way, I, I uh, don't want like to have like a whole thing where justice isn't done and then to start another wave of violence and stuff throughout the country. So it's a thing that, um, that really worries me with um, the trial too. So I just wanted to be over with quickly and to have justice be done for for what happened to George Floyd.
0: Yeah, that's I have a fear of you know the inevitable, the thing that happens with this very often, where, um, you know, you run into. these legal processes already take a long time. The one argument is that, okay, when you have cases where people might be innocent, then you have some time for um, the lawyers to gather information, all those things. But on the contrary, you also have times where, especially with technology that we have, where we have increasingly more video evidence from all angles of things that happen in certain situations. Um, This is a pretty quick kind of way of assembling the trial in the terms of the legal process, but it goes to show that, yeah, the legal process in many ways, is structurally set up to not only provide justice sort of slowly and after the fact, but a lot of times not even provide justice at all. And that's the thing I'm worried about is in the possible scenario, I'd say above 50%, but not like certain scenario, that Derek Chauvin is found not guilty or like not um, fully charged or not even like charged in a way that feels, you know, like right and just considering the action... Um, that is that he did and the options that are being put in place right now as far as to how to handle it in a judicious way. But, I mean, we saw what happened when a lot of these other trials didn't go well. That anger and that numbness um, and that confirmation and knowing that there is no system in this country that will fight for African-Americans or people of color, uh, that turns to rage and anger and violence. and It turns to rioting and, like, I'll understand the emotion behind it, but I'll also say that it's the it's just what the right wing wants. It's just what they want to be able to say so that they can continue to justify raising police budgets and uh, getting people to buy more guns. So it's like there's a vicious cycle aspect that I'm definitely like um, really worried about happening here.
2: Um, also, like going going back to the trial, um, the uh, top homicide investigator. A police officer in Minneapolis, Richard Zimmerman, uh, during the trial, also said that Derek um, Chauvin's actions were totally unnecessary. So you even, which is rare for a cop to actually go against other police officers. We all know about the um, what is the blue line, the blue wall of silence. Yeah. Um, the uh, the stitch the snitches get stitches of police, but um, we we have that aspect. And Dan, I'm I'm glad you brought up that you know what what may happen if there isn't um a worthy sentence because that's usually the issue like we're seeing that there's like no system in place that can protect citizens from police like and 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 I and I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about this like we end up we we have to almost like forget how much power police have in this country when we're just going about our regular lives. But then times like this, when there's like blatant murders um, and then, and, and and I'm hoping that he doesn't end up getting just like three years or getting found not guilty. But um, just like when we, we saw with the Amber Geiger case in uh, Texas, 2019, she walks into someone's apartment and shoots and kills him and she gets 10 years. And people are just like, dude, like, th- you know, you hear about people getting 40 years for getting in a fight and like things like that. Like, like, people are kind of sick of turning off their brain when it comes to police trials, you know?
0: Yeah, like it's that, that numbing aspect is when people were saying last year in response to the protests and the demonstrations, like, hey, people are upset. People have reached a breaking point because they feel like the system doesn't work for them. It's because George Floyd wasn't the first black person to um, be killed at the hands of police where they had a bunch of video and a bunch of witnesses and they had a trial and the police just go scot-free. In fact, like, that's the... Anytime an officer is actually charged in one of these cases, it's the exception rather than the rule. The rule tends to be that... Um, cops go ahead free i mean there's a story that came out because like this is starting to be the anniversary of all the black lives matter things um there's also the case of um the guy out of washington who was part um, who identifies part of antifa and um went out to defend some people who were um out protesting at the time and ended up shooting one of these um proud boy like alt-right people right and in self defense, because this Proud Boy alt right person had known to be really um, vicious and known to attack people of color and was there to do so. And so this person, Michael Forrest Reinhold, was um, there to defend people of color and shot at him in self defense. Donald Trump openly bragged about sending feds to go in there and shoot him, not take him out alive, but shoot him. And like, <laughs> that was the end of the story. There's an investigation into it, but you know, these <laughs> these cops... It seemed like these cops felt like one of their own had been killed. And so they took no, like, um, chances or even sort of, like, possibility in saying, oh, was this self-defense? Is this some other thing? All those sort of, like, different tropes that are used to describe um, gun ownership and self-defense, when it's actually being used in practice in a way that, at the time, our, like, mm-hmm. alt-right government disagreed with, um, they were immediately shot. Like, there's nothing that was done... In um, response or in regards to the, um, th- there's like such an imbalance of accountability that's going on in all of these cases here, and I think that that's kind of what a lot of people are bracing themselves for. But I hope that that's not something that we have to end up like seeing and experiencing. You know,
2: uh, Dan, what do you think would be uh, a sentence that Derek Chauvin could get that? I'll just say that you'd be
0: satisfied with. I, I hate to say it like that, but what do you think would be fair? I mean, we are at this point, like, accepting <laughs> the fact that what the legal system has given us is not fair. And, um, like, I'm, I'm not going to muddy the situation with my own, like, deep philosophical political opinions. Like, that's, need, like, a different conversation. But I think what he's up for, um, if I can, like, reference the charges right now is which degrees of murder? Like second and third degree or whatever? Yeah, he's been charged with second and third degree murder and second and third degree manslaughter. He's pleading not guilty all the charges. I mean, there's particulars. It's
1: not 50 to life for that, right?
0: I, I'm not sure off the like, um, if sentences he could face kind of years, but I mean, I think that this is the bare minimum of what you do. I, I would like him to be charged to the fullest extent. This was definitely... I forget what's the difference between second and third degree murder, but manslaughter is like when you're intentionally doing it. It's not like haphazard. whoops, we killed someone? Like, was driving my car too fast and ran into someone? No, like, it's pretty... It's extremely clear what Derek Chauvin was doing. Um, And again, law is a lot about precedent, and that precedent is always used against activists and people of color. And so if you can get in precedent at least once in one case that a killer cop can be charged um, to the full extent of the law, then that doesn't mean that all these cases are going to be better in the future, but hey, maybe some of them. But it's definitely going to be, like I'm worried about the hope that people are going to lose. Um, It's going to be like a blackpilling kind of moment if Derek Chauvin's able to walk off with like a slap on the wrist or scot-free or like what happens with 99% of these other cops where they just get um, desk duty or transferred to a different police department. Um, I'm kind of hoping that isn't the case. There, give give that give that number though. What number? What 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 number? What? How many years will you be satisfied? Again, with? I don't want to get into the philosophical conversation of like my own beliefs on like.
1: Dan, are you running for Congress or something? Are you a politician <laughs> here? Like,
0: are you like staying <laughs> here? Okay. I, what number would you want, and then I'll I, let my thing be the last word.
2: Okay. For me, I'm not expecting more than 10 years. If he gets 10, it sucks, but, like, I know how it is, and I'll be like, you know what, that's pretty much all you're going to get. I feel like he obviously deserves a lot more than that based on what we saw, but if he gets 10 years, I'll be like, okay, that's basically all we were going to get. Eye for an eye, a tooth, tooth for a tooth.
3: Well, Caesar, what about you? Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. If he gets 10 years, I'll be appalled. Um, I, f- I feel like he has a really good lawyer with him. Um, and I think, I think like what I want him to get is like 25, maybe more than that. Like, like 25, I mean, damn it, 25 to life. Go ahead. See ya. But, um, <laughs> what I think he's really probably going to get is like seven to 10. I can't imagine. And that's just serving years. I can imagine him letting him, letting him walk a lot earlier. Cause he's a cop and all that. He's probably going to be eligible for the earliest parole possible, and he's probably gonna be able to like house arrest like two years in, so who knows? So wait, what 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 are you what will you be
2: satisfied with?
3: Uh twenty-five to life. <laughs> I just said it, I'm not saying it twice. I'm not running for Congress like Dan, so I'm good. 25 to life.
2: No. Okay, so if he gets 10 years, like you're gonna like you're like ten years is worthy of protest for you.
3: Yeah, ten years is of course. Yeah, we, we of course someone dies, a, a black man dies in this in this country and it's a ten, all 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 the cop gets is ten years. Yeah, I mean I'd be and I'm, getting ten years. Never mind, no, I'm, no, I'm not, yeah.
2: I mean, Amber Geiger walked into botham mm-hmm. John's apartment, shot him, killed him, said that she thought it was her apartment. She got ten years, and they're trying to appeal that sentence and if they if it works, she will go scot- free after yeah. two years yeah. Cops don't get more than 10 years. No, they? you you think you they literally
3: walk into those ideal situation in general. They're like they're in that. And when they walk to the, like that system, like they're always already trying to like act like they're the saints and get them out early. Anyways, it's, it's a totally different situation for someone doing 10 years as a cop than someone doing 10 years for, I don't know, a drug charge or something. It's a it's a whole different perspective on them in general.
0: Yeah, like yeah. it's it's just stacked for you if you're a cop. Like my oh, answer, yeah. like my answer is layered, right? Like I have qualms over whether the criminal justice system as it exists today, like really rehabilitates people. So like the point of sending them to jail is just sort of like an afterthought, right? Like they're, they're in a box, they're in a place we don't have to think about them anymore. Um, when we like think about, okay, well, a lot of the people that these cops throw in jail, um are, like, horribly mistreated. A lot of them caught COVID-19 and died, and it was just a complete afterthought because jail is just considered to be the lowest rung in American society, and we incarcerate more people um, per capita than the rest of the world does. So, like, there's that aspect of, like, does this does jailing the few cops that do get jailed for doing this thing really solve the problem of police brutality? No. Um. <laughs> like, then, like, I'm going to put that in a box. The other thing I say is, look, my progressive politics and like morals and things aside, I'm much more of an eye for an eye person moronic m- mor- morally. And in my world, Derek Chauvin would have been shot point blank in the courtroom. Like we would just go through that very quickly because, but again, <laughs> we can't have capital punishment in this world because in this world, we're constantly charging people who are wrongfully uh, accused of things. And so when we apply the death penalty more broadly, uh, people who are wrongfully um, charged guilty die. So I I can't approve of it in that broad sense. Um, But like, that's honestly how I feel. Like, I don't have any sort of recourse or reprehence for these kinds of people. I mean, (laughs) the kind of lack of care they have for bodies that look like mine. Yeah, make a fucking example of it. Now, now, now what I want to do while we're here and while we're talking about um, very serious issues of systemic injustice and racism, I'd like to bring the attention to Steven Crowder. Now, um, Steven Crowder (laughs) has been uh, facing some, I mean, we have to understand the game that Steven Crowder is playing. The fact that I'm even talking about Steven Crowder right now is, in a sense, part of his plan. It's because he has existed on his YouTube show and his YouTube channel growing For years and years, especially under the Trump administration, for being the brand of conservative who at at no other cost just triggers the libs, just gets them upset and angry. And that was a brand of political punditry that worked. But what a lot of these uh, goddamn fucking newbies don't understand Mm. is that political punditry is something that you have to sort of like spice up and change every couple of years or else you get stale and people move on to the next flavor of the month. Um, so what you have now in the wake of the end of the Trump administration, there's no Trump TV to save them. Um, OANN and Newsmax are losing money. Fox News is facing a lawsuit for their Dominion voting scandal things. And on the online independent media space where so much of the traffic over the past four years was based off of Trump news and getting emotional reactions out of people, in this Joe Biden milk toast world where there aren't many um, political scandals at the federal level, let's say, Republicans are stuck at trying to spark fires on their own in ways that are just incompatible with this um, new body politic that exists. So they started talking about cancel culture for a couple of months, and that really worked for them and really almost distracted people from the fact that the Republican Party had no tangible response to the COVID-19 pandemic and no desire to even uh, send people help. While complaining that they need to like get rid of mask mandates and all that stuff. But now these pundits, in their own way, are just latching on to garden variety race baiting. And so Steven Crowder posted earlier this month, yeah, earlier this year, this really racist bit where he's just doing these um, black voice characters. Uh, Most happy about the new policy? These people. So, yeah. I'm on black, I'm gonna buy a plow, man. I'm gonna plant that corn. Go get a John Deere, Barack Obama, mother. I'm the president. I'm plowing that air You. Yeah. I thought the last thing they would want to do is be farmers. Wasn't that a big problem yeah. for hundreds of years? Yeah. Isn't that why Arsenio yeah. Hall called himself the urban man's Johnny Carson? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Are people are people lining up out in the middle of cornfield, Iowa, for new dunks?
3: Uh, how would you prove <laughs> this, by the way? Like, how would you prove yeah. that you've been discriminated against? You don't against? have to. You just Well, say, I didn't get that loan. You Sir, me. you had no credit. Well, that should not have stopped me from getting the loan. Uh,
0: I planted a Hennessy tree, <laughs> but it's not growing. Well, I, well <laughs> technically, it did grow, but that shit ain't XO. Mm-mm. And, you know, all these, like, like, it's not even, it's not even the kind of racism that is cute or funny, per se, because it's like racism from white people in the 90s and their perception about black people. Like, like it's just outdated almost, right? Like, it, it just feels, again, like a lot of things about Steven Crowder's show outdated. But um, YouTube originally was not going to ban him. They originally decided that, hey, uh, we care about free speech and we don't want to be baited into these free speech game by, by games by conservatives anymore. And so we're going to allow Steven Crowder, who has previously um, led harassment campaigns against other YouTubers for their uh, race and sexual orientation, to allow him on youtube no he's not violating any policies or whatever let's leave him on and then he drops <laughs> more racist things and then he gets demonetized from youtube and can't publish for a week and so he's decided to take this slap on the wrist and double down on the racism with even more ridiculous bits look this leaf is red like elmo's fur uh, uh, uh,
1: this leaf is brown like what's skin
0: <laughs> fred lightly
1: there elmo uh,
3: a question? What it is, Elmo? Elmo, Elmo wants to know why, why his skin is brown. Oh, I know why, Elmo. My mom and dad told me it's because
0: of melanin. Right, Dad? I
1: ain't your dad.
0: Melanin? What's that?
1: Well, melanin is something we each have inside of our bodies that make the outside of our bodies the color that it is. It also gives us a competitive edge in all sports
2: besides swimming. Yep, can't do that. <laughs> Fur color? I don't know. Uh,
3: but, but, but if we all have melanin, why is Mr. Elijah's skin a darker brown than Wes's skin?
1: Oh, good question, Elmo. It's because Mr. Elijah likes fat white asses. Mm, mm, mm. Oh. The color of our skin is an important part of who we are. In fact, it's the only thing that matters anymore. <laughs> That's it. Just skin.
0: Like, yeah, there's that one with... um. The, the fake Elmo, where Elmo's learning about what black skin is. And it's all voiced by Steven Crowder in just one of the most like ridiculous ways possible. Like, it's a cry for help, but okay, let's bite. Like, what were y'all's reactions to Steven Crowder's latest antics?
1: There is one thing I saw where he was uh, posting in his account of, like, we got deplatformed from YouTube. The libs got us. Um, My favorite part of that all that you didn't touch about yet was him saying, um, oh, yeah, we couldn't say that Donald Trump won the election because we weren't allowed to. So the fact that he's like, wait, so... You're saying that, okay, cool, you weren't allowed to spread a fake thing about it and said that you never did, even though your entire channel for like three or four months literally had like hashtag stop the steal in like every single fucking video and clip you made for three or four months. You didn't talk about Trump at all or say that he didn't, the election wasn't stolen from him. Hmm, I wonder. Okay. And then the racism bit, it's just unfortunately a a lot of um, incels and stuff will find that stuff funny unfortunately but it's tasteless it really does nothing and I swear to god he, he has those guys hostage that works in his studio because he's they like f- are like forced to laugh every time he makes the shittiest joke and the fact that people call him a comedian is a stain on the world of comedy because he's not funny in the slightest it's like calling Dave Rubin a professional comedian the same thing not even remotely funny I mean
0: I've got a counterpoint to me it seems like He's got the racial humor and cultural sensibilities of the like, f- like middle aged ge- late Gen Xer, like Utah corn fed white dudes that are sitting on his set, like performing his shows. Like, I don't think Steven Crowder has much of a brain. This can be kind of, um, e- example by and Sean, you'll know this too. the cold feet Crowder, the case where Steven Crowder was talking about, um, (laughs) (laughs) debating Sam Cedar back when, um, a whole, uh, genre of right of alt-right politics was basically debate me, bro, debate me, bro. That was their entire political ideology for a couple Mm -hmm. of years. And, um, given the chance to debate someone who's like, listen, I don't contribute my best Sam Cedar impression. Listen, I don't contribute in these nonsense discussions, but, uh, if if you want to, okay, Steven Crowder, I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. And like, it's because Sam Cedar went back down from a debate like this. And Steven Crowder's dad had to intervene and go, No, no, you're not going to be debating him. You're not going to get your ass kicked on camera. Like, we're not going to have this happen. So, like, <laughs> Steven Crowder is a clown, a phony, um, a little weasel, anyways. But I think, like, he is an empty, like, in the worst senses of the word, he's a hembo. Like, he's just not even, like, has a brain going on in there. He's fed this, like, literally late 90s rejected republican script of racism and bigotry and just repeats that to his audience of youtubers to spread that to the next generation of uh zoomers who are gonna like be getting those like alt-right richard spencer haircuts when they go when they um finally let the barber shops open and shit
1: the other thing too is one he's canadian for fuck's sake and he does like the pledge of uh, pledge of allegiance before like every video or like our live stream, I'm like. First off, we should be singing on Canada, mate. our national anthem, and then he wears a holster in his studio for like the most virtual signaling thing ever. It's I like, you, oh, you were really insecure, dog. He
3: he was a theater theater kid, right? Right, that's what he did, R- something like that. He did
0: like R- that, That's what um, real manly conservatives love: theater. That, yeah, that, that, that's their a, favorite a- thing.
3: Everyone loves the a, loves a, – like, you're out here dressed like you're on Law & Order. Like, dude, you're so damn cool. I forgot that everybody walks around studios double holstered because life is really that dangerous, right? Like, you know you're – this is my takeaway from the video. You're whack because you didn't say the N-word. Like, you're whack.
0: You're yeah, no, whack. he's scared. He's scared. You're going to
3: go that far to try to piss me off and you don't even say it? That – Really? Like sounds like you're to me, man. You're running around with two pistols, a turtleneck in the studio with a bunch of 65-year-old men, all all, all all old geezers, and you're over here trying to look cool, and you can't even say the N-word in your video, homie? I thought you about the life you're strapped up. I'm in a Hawaiian t-shirt I got from Ross. But you're the one making that video looking cool, and you can't even drop an N-bomb, that's how soft you are. You're so soft. You're scared to get deplatformed. De- you're scared to get dropped off YouTube because you know, drop that n bomb, you're gone. So, you, all it showed me is that you're scared, homie. And it, it's okay. We <laughs> understand now. We understand. I watched the video. I was like, oh. At first, I was like, this dude, and then I was like, wow, he really didn't do it. <laughs>
0: You yeah. had one chance. I, I, now,
3: I, you forever saw for me.
0: I, I'm telling you, he would totally do it. He feels like, you know, he's totally safe in his um, studio where he's scrapped and, and with his friends and fellas. F- totally free to say any of these it, words. But he's afraid, like, someone, words, like... Not his. He, he's, he's afraid, like, Bam is gonna come in, like, fucking Mutumbo all of a sudden. Anytime he, like, says the <laughs> N-word, break into his studio, and that's the thing he's afraid of. Like, fucking, like, <laughs> he's... He, Steven Crowder will go so far to be edgy, except actually being edgy, because he understands freedom from speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. And even on the right wing, they're not going to like let you just go off of just like saying the N-word and spouting and all that shit. Like that, that's just too hard to come back from on camera on your own show. Like, no one's gonna forgive that. But again, Steven Crowder knows that ultimately that's his audience and that's going to help him. So he's going to go up to the line as much as he can, do the virtue signaling gun bravada from his like heart palpitation meltdown mattress and wherever he's living right now. But maybe I've done too many low blows. Bam, why don't you uh, class this up a little bit here?
2: Well, look, Caesar's the tall one, okay? Can he be Matumbo? He's the tall one,
0: but he's like 6'8". Oh, I, I, I did this uh, purely off of the um, complexion uh, lesson that Stephen Crowder oh. gave me on Elmo.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that's
3: cool. Exactly. And you didn't say the N word either. Nice. You're, uh, everybody's soft, <laughs>
0: folks. We're right in the
3: line.
2: Um, honestly, like, yeah, I, I, I watched, the, I watched some of the little skit, like, like, I mean, as an
0: American, I HBO's love racist really let humor. Um, Elmo go. By the way, they've really let Sesame Street just go downhill.
3: Well, ever since the dude got in trouble, they're like, well, he's off the rails now. So,
2: <laughs> as, as an American, I love racist humor. Um but yeah like like caesar said it's like dude like that that that's weak i i remember damn should i say this you know what never mind let me not say that um you know there are like the steven crowder is that type of guy who like you're around and he tries to like you know kind of pick at you a little bit with like racial stuff and i've known white guys like that like they kind of try to test you a little bit see what they can get away with or see like how serious you'll take certain things, um, you know what? I'm gonna say it. Uh, if if it's too bad, uh, uh, Dan, you can just take it out. But um, it I had a friend this. of mine, a white guy, a white guy who 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 was doing this. He, he's you know I, I I've seen it a million times. He's like trying to say little stuff, like it doesn't bother me. But then but then one day he was like, yeah, you know, like my dad's really racist. I was like, oh okay, like. And then he's like, yeah, like he's he still calls black people uh, colored. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, what does he call Jews? And he's like, well, well, like I don't know, like nothing. I was like, well, he's he's obviously not that racist then. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 kind of similar to CJ saying, like, just say that, like, like, are if you are you gonna do it or not? Like, are you really about it or not? Because we can go there. But if you're just trying to play around, like, I'm not taking you serious. You're you're wearing, you're strapped up. You're the only person
3: I see watching these videos of all these lame-ass conservative, uh, uh, whatever, puppet figureheads. You're the one who's a Canadian rocking double holstered over here looking like um, uh, you came off of some damn uh, KDOC TV broadcast. Rocking it right now, and you're not even dropping the N bomb. I thought your body looking like Airwolf. Drop, drop it, drop it, (laughs) dog. Are you part of the A team? Drop it. Because honestly, I'm, re- I'm ready to hear it. Honestly, if he dropped the N-bomb, I would have been scream laughing. I would have been laughing at this video. I would have been laughing. You would have had yeah. my comedic if laugh Stephen, you've been waiting if for. Stephen Crowder and you said the, did it, so
0: I didn't laugh. If Steven Crowder said the N-word, that would have been so based compared to how boring everything else the entire bit was. Because it just would have been, been comedic delivery. It would have been, like, commitment to the bit. But no, he's like uh, a... Oh, isn't it winky face, winky face, like awkward winky face, like cute that I'm being racially provocative. Oh, I'm triggering the libs with my harmless rhetoric. It's just like, it's it's so obvious, man.
3: Yeah, he could have just said it and it would have been great. It would have been the most realist moment he's ever had in his damn sorry career. Even when he thought he was cool sitting in front of community colleges, taking on people about their stances. The coolest thing he would have done is dropping the end bomb in that video, Be like, "Wow, look at—he actually has a backbone. He did it." And you don't, so just go somewhere. See,
2: like, like that's the thing. Like, triggering the libs, like when people like that, like the when people say the libs, generally they're referring to like liberal white people, and and I'm not hating on that. Like, I'm I love those people for the most part, <laughs> but as a black person, like you're not really you're not really moving the needle for me just doing this stuff it's like man I'm like okay like we've seen that before I'm like that's not a big deal because here's the thing like if he says the n-word like if he drops it we're gonna be like damn okay he really really went for it but inside we're thinking he wouldn't say it in my face though and and that's it that, that that's all it is it's like yeah that's cute like you said it on the internet you dropped that in but I'm like damn okay he really went for it but he ain't gonna say it in my face though and and that's like the end of the discussion. So Stephen Crowder, yes, like please go listen to what Caesar said. And I'm not going to be Matumbo. All right? Caesar is Matumbo. Okay, <laughs> you, Caesar is Matumbo. Okay, <laughs> you got to put an, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. i O. I'm that. Matumbo. I'm <laughs> Matumbo. But um, yeah, like like you're not really you're not. I'm not impressed, dude. Just just like how. Let me go back. I'll say it again. If Dan got to take it out. When my (laughs) friend trying to be provocative, my my dad still says color. Well, what does he say about the Jews? Is he scared to do that? Well, then he's not really about that life. Then you that's that's cute. You want to pick on black people and pick on Hispanic? That's cute. But let's see him try to punch punch up a little bit. Some dude from Kansas. I'm not impressed.
0: We turn to Georgia, where folks have been paying attention to the onslaught against voting rights and the ability to vote that is going on in the state. Um, after the sore Loser Party basically responded to uh, losing both Senate seats in the state of Georgia, they then went into overdrive to figure out, okay, we've lost because the American people voted that way. How can we make sure the American people's vote matters less and less so we can continue to maintain power? Um so that's like taken itself into a number of different ways. Georgia's voting law, the new voting law that, um, has just sort of passed. There are a number of different provisions that are in there that, um, like change things for the way votes happen in Florida. I mean, sorry, in Georgia. For one, voters now have less time to request absentee ballots. So, um, It's another hurdle to, if you can't vote in person and wait um, in the long lines, keep in mind that even before this voting bill took in place, Republicans have systemically decreased the amount of um, federal and state funding that goes towards facilitating the election day in states, including Georgia. And when you have less state funding, that means you have to close polling locations. That means people have to travel further to go to vote. There are fewer places to vote, so that means there are longer lines. And that's especially important because uh, mobile voting centers, basically RVs that can go to these rural areas in um, Georgia, for example, are now banned. Early voting um, is expanded in a lot of small counties, but not many of the more populous ones. So when you wonder like, oh, who is this voting measure supposed to help? Very clearly it's going to help the more rural areas that vote, tend to be more Republican areas. And one of the most publicized sized ones here, uh People can no longer, while you're in line, you can't give food or water to people who are waiting in line. That's being treated more specifically as a gift um, that's being given to people who are voting, standing in long lines in early November, sometimes for the entire day just for their um, constitutionally protected right to vote. Um But yeah, there's some other ridiculous things in here that are going underreported. One's like, if you show up to the wrong polling place on accident, even on accident, that's a misdemeanor now. So you're criminalizing voting, you're criminalizing some of these basic mistakes in voting, all while there wasn't some widespread voter fraud that was actually proven. When the numbers were done, um, voting irregularities were no different than in previous years, even though a number of people were voting from home due to COVID-19. No, the only um, word of voter irregularities or voter fraud came from the Republican Party, the same party that is instituting all of these changes in the state of Georgia. Uh, before I begin talking about some of the ways that this is happening in um, other states, I kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on this like blatant attack on attempted voter suppression going on in the South.
1: They, uh, The ironic part of more um, conservative, right-leaning people, Republicans, saying how they want freedom... Freedom of speech is like their biggest, like one of their biggest talking points, you know. Um, Second Amendment, all that, but they like to support, like, suppress voting rights as much as they can because they know the more people that vote, the less Republicans go in. Uh, Because I don't think a Republican has won the popular vote in like 25 years or something like that for a long time um, for the presidential election. So, they're trying to do that to get as many people as they can within their team into um, Congress, into uh, the White House, whatever it is. So it's just, you know, another blatant attack on people and all of the little things that they do. It's The hypocrisy uh, of it all for the voting rights, too, is it's it's appalling, really, for a country that sets, you know, that prides itself on having the right to vote to having a, a uh, representative democracy, but then all of these loopholes and stuff for people that have issues voting. It's just, it's sickening and and very angering to see because I want more people to be able to express it. And I don't want people to feel like that they don't have a voice or feel like that they don't have an opportunity to go out and vote because then that's less people voting because I already know that there's so many people that don't vote. So I want more people to get involved in the process because all those micro changes and stuff really have an effect on the the bigger picture and i want more and more people to be involved in politics and stuff in general because that's the way you get change around and while suppressing that is not going to help with any of the change you're gonna have more of the status quo more of the bullshit that's been going on in this country for you know hundreds of years and you want real change you want stuff to help the people you're gonna to have to have more people being involved more people to be able to vote so all that change, all that stuff in Georgia is just sickening and, and very and maddening for me, especially.
3: Um, I think that this is probably... This is kind of like the news that kind of really bugged me a lot this week because it made it made me think that, like, I thought that we were making at least some assemblage of progress moving on from the whole corny um, stop-the-vote stuff and everything that was going on. And, you know, I thought it was actually a very... I thought it was almost a thing to be proud of um, for the state of Georgia to see their turnouts for the recent um, election. What was it called? The the one that they just did, the, that we talked about that ended up getting the, their, their representatives in the Senate, um, the Senate races they had over there. I thought it was very telling to see so many people come out and turn out and voice You know that's I thought that's the foundation of what you know what you want. You want you always talk about this country being great because of the freedom to vote, right? The right to vote. That's what everybody talks about. When you're from another country, they always talk about the difference between what we have versus what you have. You know, a lot of times there was discussions about when America was coming into other countries, and 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 they talked about oh well, you know, this is the vote that we want to impose the same kind of voting rights we have in this country we have there. But when you pass things like this, you take that away. You know, you, you. you, you you suppress it. Suppressing vote to be convenient for one demographic is not how you get the the, the consensus of the population. That's not how you get um, more voices to be heard. It sounds like to me you're trying to muffle voices that you don't want to be a part of the election process, and I think that's disgusting. I, I, I thought that – Um, What the MLB did recently, I thought was really noble too. uh, moving away their all star game from Georgia because they stand. They didn't they didn't want to stay with with, uh, in accordance to how the the new voting rights bill that went through. Um, I thought I was whacked that the actual Atlanta Braves was against it (laughs) and was very upset of it. It was interesting to see how some of the nation reacted to it. And for me, of course, I thought it was disgusting personally.
2: Um, I don't want to just end up repeating uh, what everybody said because I agree with it. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, things like this that happen, like we there's, and, and I feel like we've talked about this in the past too, like these forces that we have to fight against like anti-democratic uh, forces, you know, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And times like this, like what happened with this Georgia law, like they, they raised their hand, you know, like they didn't, they're not like in the shadows, you know, they're not, they're not like creeping around. They're saying like, hey, we're here to literally suppress the vote because of the the election results that just happened. And um, I don't know exactly what can happen as regard, in regards to repealing it or like, you know, I, I feel like there's some lawsuits that are coming out against it. But... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the people in Georgia that are pro-democracy will fight against it. Um and we saw someone like Stacy Abrams this last go around and like her organizations and different organizations in Georgia. Um they did a lot to get people registered and get people out to vote. And we saw the results. Um and you know, some and, and and you know, I have a lot of respect for her and she seems like a very strong person. And I feel like, you know, someone like her and the people that uh work with her, they're gonna they're gonna keep fighting, you know, and I'm sure they didn't I'm sure they were aware that their fight wasn't over. And I feel like they're just gonna end up doing even more to combat like what uh Brian Kemp and them did. And I feel like they're going to continue to be successful at that. Like, I don't think this bill is going to be able to stop them no matter what. Um, but but there there's some, like, I don't want to say silver lining, but there is something to these people having to show their hand as opposed to, um, you know, what Brian Kemp did before when Stacey Abrams ran against him you know, some slick things that you can't really see behind the scenes or whatever, because he was secretary of state before he ran for governor or whatever. This is like, look, we lost big time, so we got to suppress the vote. Everybody sees it plain as day, and now the fight becomes like that. It, it, it uh, doesn't necessarily become easier, but it becomes like more public.
0: Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from in that. I think it's important for people to know that yeah, as much as these fights for the vote are happening, there are a number of people who are willing to fight that back because the vote is like one of the most fundamental like important things that we can like we have as a society to let people know where the American people like stand on these different issues and it's like being taken away by a party that knows they can't win the vote. I mean, you alluded a little bit to um, current Governor Brian Kemp, who back when he was Secretary of State and was running for governor against Stacey Abrams, the Secretary of State is the person who runs the elections in any given state, right? So <laughs> there are some very obvious shady things that were happening there that um, Stacey Abrams just sort of had to like, you know, lick her wounds and like battle for the next day. And like battle she definitely has for sure. Um, that's also to say that Stacey Abrams is doing it alone, as I've mentioned in other videos, there's a tendency to just say that like the, um, this all like Stacey Abrams, this one, um, neoliberal is doing all of the work in Georgia where in addition to her, there's a number of other different groups, grassroots organizations in Georgia who are helping to fight against these voting issues. But this issue is so much bigger than Georgia. And it's so, when you look that it is bigger than Georgia, you see that this is a concerted effort. On the part of the Republican Party to suppress the vote, um, the Brennan Center just this week came out with uh, some really great numbers. They track this stuff. I mean, like great numbers as far as like we give us a good idea of what's going on, but pretty terrible numbers regardless. Um, as of March 24th, legislators have introduced 361 bills on a state level. That's 361 bills with voting restrictive provisions in 47 different states. Uh, Bam, what was that? Did you say March 24th? Yes, as of March 24th. So basically a week before we're recording this episode. No, it's not since March 24th, but like that's as they counted, right? So it's not like in the past oh, okay, It's okay. like <laughs> since this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was <laughs> like, whoa, they're they're doing a lot with that uh, taxpayer money. I. At least they're working. Yeah, um, we, cancel cancel cultures for voting, but nothing else. Um, but yeah, it's, we have currently <laughs> live right now, there are 361 bills introduced in 47 states with these restrictive provisions. And if you want a sense of numbers, Bam, um, in February 19th, 2021, there were uh, 253 bills. So it's gone up by 108 in about a year. So that's kind of a sense of how much they've been ramping up. Um, Five restrictive bills have already been signed into law and 55 of these bills are moving forward in 29 states and 29 of them have at least passed one chamber. Texas has the most bills at 49 with Georgia at 25 and Arizona at 23. Would you look here? These are all the purple states. These are all of the populist states that the Republican Party needs to retain viability in future elections, right? Um, These are the same states that... um, Instead of the Republican Party trying to appeal to the constituents of these states, um, what's going on in Texas, the Texas Republican Party is in complete denial that climate change is affecting the infrastructure in Texas. Uh, That's the kind of government you have there working for you. And that government that is taking a complete lackadaisical approach to the issues facing um, Americans and even Republican red blooded red state people in these states, the fact they're taking a blind eye To the issues affecting them and also trying to suppress the vote so that maybe, and this is like a strong hope, maybe some of these people really understand the ways the Republican Party is screwing them and they want to then vote and then um, make their voice heard against that. They're then going to find out in 2022 and 2024 that it's that much harder. And then when we're counting the votes in 2022 and 2024, we'll be looking on election night then, um, hopefully doing like a power report then or something at, oh, wow, no, look at these voter irregularities. Well, because of these laws that were changed in texas back in 2021 uh it's harder to count the vote in a way that favors republicans like these are the headlines that are happening on a state level but to bring it to bam's point where it is where this is exciting is that state politics is where individuals who are just into politics who care about things on a deep level, but feel like the national politics is too far away from them, too powerless for them, you can actually do things on a state level and the state politicians fear is the wrong word, but they feel the accountability so much more because they're local politicians on that level. So um, if you're in Texas, you're in Georgia, you're in Arizona, you're in 47 of these 50 states where these things are happening. Um, I'll leave a link in the description to the Brennan Center um, study so you can go into more detail for yourself. But if you're living in one of these states, yo, like, you need to get in touch with lawmakers who are both um, fighting these voting suppression measures and lawmakers who are Uh, trying to put them in place and make sure the voices of you and the voices in your community are heard while those voices even matter, honestly.
2: Uh, Even even if you're in a, you know, a blue state, I, I feel like because of how popular the Stop the Steal meme became and, like, how, like, it became such a popular thing that the voting was rigged or whatever, you know these people are coming for, they're coming for our democracy, like for the democracy that we have. You know, obviously it's not even close to perfect, but for them, they're like, their their ideology is like, let's kind of get rid of all of that, you know? So it, it's, it's not going to be difficult for them to persuade people to thinking that, oh, you know, like, oh, you know it was it was rigged, right? Like, you know there was like these issues. So, we, you know, and then, then then there comes like somebody that's a little bit more clever and knows how to get into these halls of power and start to change things, you know?
0: For sure. Um, Sean, is there any last words on this?
3: Um, no, pretty much it. I think what you guys are saying is right. We need to understand that um, as much progress has been made, and I that's a realization even I made, as much progress that has been made, there's much more to do to move forward you know we're we it's never like the the rainbow at the end and you know the sunshine it's all pretty like there's always going to be work to do there's always going to be the forces working against democracy and i think that's something that we need to just keep working on and and and, and I'm, I'm happy to know that there's people along with stacy and her and others that you've mentioned that are working hard to keep that democracy in place i think that, that that's real freedom fighting right there i think what they're doing is great and we just need to keep it going because at the end of the day, like the, one of the most important things about this country is the right to vote, right? Is the right to vote whenever you want, whenever you feel necessary. And I think that's something we always need to protect, especially if we want to literally protect this country. That's, that's what's most important to me.
0: So Matt Gates. Uh, congressperson from Florida, one of the leading uh, perpetrators, let's say, of a lot of conspiracy theories that benefited Trump during the Trump administration, or you know, even they didn't have a direct benefit to Trump. They were popular in Trump circles. This idea of Pizzagate, this Democratic Party cabal to um, engage in Child trafficking um, with minors—really disgusting stuff. They sort of thought was fodder to be joking around about. Um, even while a lot of these magachuds were ignoring the fact that the um, pedophilia was coming from inside the house, as it were. Um, insert libertarians in the chat complaining about the differences between pedophilia and phobophilia or whatever. But, um, anyways, the it, this really all came to a head when Matt Gates was found to have been under federal investigation accused of having sex with a minor. Um, apparently, this was disclosed of Matt Gaetz accused of having a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl and paying her for travel, among other things. But Matt Gates then responded to this claim with a, a frankly dizzying slew of interviews, something that even the home court advantage of Tucker Carlson really couldn't help him out with. And it was just this like onslaught of just like videos of Tucker Carlson's even like Matt Gates is like, well, obviously, as you would know, Tucker Carlson, being a person who's been wrongly miscused of sexual assault, like you would know that these things can happen. And Tucker Carlson's like, bro, I'm doing you a favor. Why are you putting me into this? Literally after it, Tucker <laughs> Carlson's like, that's one of the weirdest interviews I've ever done. And I have more questions than answers. <laughs> and um, listen, we're just going to run ahead with it, buddy. Um I think that this Matt Gaetz story is a lot interesting in its own, right? And um, I'll let us discuss that in a moment because I think there's a lot. But there's a, a world angle here that I'll get to in a moment. But first, um, what are some of y'all's thoughts as this is happening?
2: I'm excited to hear about this world uh, aspect you're going to get into. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the Matt Gates thing, I mean, on some level, it just it's like seems funny. But... Um, there is like that aspect of hypocrisy and this kind of uh double dealing almost like you're out here i guess projecting you know i mean i guess we'll see what comes out with everything but you know putting all this stuff on other people when you're doing the exact same thing we we all know that politics is dirty and like a lot of these people are scumbags um it it it's it's kind of like less uh you know, you don't, you, it doesn't bother you as much as like if you really never, if that person kind of stays in the background, but this guy is trying to come out like the moral police and stuff. And then all this garbage is coming out about you there. And there's a lot of stuff too. Uh fake IDs.
0: I, 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 mm. we'll, we'll see what comes out. And then if he uh Jeffrey Epstein's himself. Right. I, <laughs> just to get into the things really quickly before we continue. Um, more information came out where apparently he was involved in the procurement of fake IDs for some of these minors um, slot there. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's apparently reports that Matt Gates was sharing um, lewd photos on the uh, house floor of some of the women he had slept with, potentially underage Women he had slept with, so that's a, a number of layers we got going there for uh, Pizza Gates over there.
1: Another interesting thing with uh, Mister Pizzagates Gates um, was that he was saying about either a day before or the date of right when it was coming out of that he's been investigated that he was going to leave Congress and go get a he was offered a position, I believe, at New, Newsmax and he was uh potentially going to leave congress to go take up his early to go take up a position newsmax which you never hear of congressmen leaving congress early to go pick up another job usually it's after their term is up and everything so it's extremely rare to hear that but then it makes sense because he probably is figuring out oh shit i uh, might be investigated might be good to you know leave this uh area to put some things under the under the rug so i thought that was very telling as well um that he was even considering leaving and told people about that
0: doing the old dipper rooney real quick um and, and going straight to the um conservative media pipeline usually like you know newt gingrich had to wait a couple weeks before fox gave him a contract right like um but planet new lord um man it's ridiculous did you want See, you want to jump in before i go like super in here <laughs>
3: Dan, just just going Go going okay,
0: I've had it. So like the Matt and Gates stuff is horrible and I think it's of course has to be said that um, we're talking about a, a, a pattern here with men, of course, and the way they view sexual impropriety, where they're oftentimes very loud and vocal about people's sexual improprieties while committing those same things behind closed doors. Um, in ways where they're using their power as politically powerful people against oftentimes women who aren't in this power, who are fearing for their jobs, their livelihoods, who are like then behaving in these situations. Or um, men who just like plainly know better and and go, maybe, you know, as a politician, maybe I shouldn't do these certain behaviors or actions. Um, But to me, bring this in the world context of men who are in the post Me Too era Still not having their lives destroyed and canceled for being like very clear, um, not just sexual deviance, like we agree with, on a, with on a moral level, but these are, these are crimes. This is um, sex trafficking, this is assault, these are really serious issues. But this parallels something that's just roiling in Australia right now. America's really bad with doing world news, but um, in the English speaking world down under in Australia, um, you have this wild sex scandal that has pretty much implicated a significant um, portion. Of the right wing in Australia. So super high level um, Australia has a parliamentary system as a lot of um, English-speaking non-American countries do, which means you have a government made of multiple different parties, not necessarily two parties. But in order for that government to work in a, you know, semi-sustainable, fashionable way, um, these governments have to form coalitions with each other So what you now have is the coalition government, which is a group of, basically a um, group between the Liberal Party of Australia, so the center, and the National Party of Australia, so the right slash the far right. And they've been a coalition government um, in Australia since 2013, being re-elected in the 2019 Australian federal elections, led by Scott Morrison, um, one of the most punchable (coughs) inbred English people I've ever seen in my life. So... This whole thing begins when a coalition staffer by the name of Brittany Higgins says that she was raped in the Parliament House in Australia, saying that um, it occurred inside the office of Defense Minister Linda Reynolds on 2 a.m. on March 23rd, 2019, when Higgins was 24. Um, she said after a night of drinking with colleagues, she fell asleep on Ms. Reynolds' office's couch and woke up to the man raping her. Um, there's really, like, vicious, like, gruesome details in it, but... A couple days later, basically, you get the government roundly denying through this, um, saying they had no idea what was going on, even though news investigations are coming out that the prime minister was aware of this happening during the whole time. Um, and that there was um, a woman who had also talked about um, another senior cabinet member who has been accused of rape. And Um, the victim had ended up taking her own life afterwards in the case. So this is all happening in the Australian government and, like, the raps are coming underneath it. All the while, um, the Attorney General, um, Christian Porter, then comes out and says that he is the cabinet minister that was accused and sort of goes to this whole thing of, like, I'm not really, like, backing down here or, like, I'm um, one of the defense minister, Linda Reynolds, the woman who... um, Higgins was asleep in her office, said that Higgins was a, quote, lying cow about the whole story and basically trying to um, get the Australian media and government in this whole fit as some sort of like partisan effort because the, you know, the Labour Party is trying to use this thing to take down the government and trying to go over this. So, I mean, I can go into it. This has been like a huge multi month mess where um, even Christian Porter, the Attorney General, announced that he is suing (laughs) Um, the um, Australian broadcast news company that has been reporting on this. So, you have a major government official saying they're going to sue um, a major news outlet for reporting on things that uh, that government official himself basically admitted to doing. And so, without going in, like it's really brutal. There's like photos that are lying around, there's a bunch of people doing these brutal allegations, but um, you also see a thing where yeah, the accuser is being called all these horrible things and there's not much of a, like, a, a, an understanding of the weight of the situation. The system is so benefit around protecting these powerful people, these powerful men, that the life and character of this woman who bravely came forward is being kind of destroyed in the process. It goes to show that, like, in America, in Australia, and a lot of other of these countries, these systems exist to benefit not just white supremacy, but like white male supremacy, like the dominance of men over women and the idea that women are just sex objects for powerful men to use and abuse and mistreat. And so what if they commit suicide? That's apparently not a problem in that way. Um, So it's just like, I I think that angle to the Matt Gaetz story shows that there is a through line of toxic misogyny and masculinity that exists in governments around the world that I think that only through like, removing it from a sort of like, oh, Matt Gates is such like a weirdo style politician, he's such like a Trump goon, to seeing that, okay, in the broader context of how this is happening in the world in 2021, this is still messed up and we've got a long way to go than these like mandatory work seminars on workplace harassment. Like there's gotta be a whole new level of revolution on here that needs to happen.
2: Cheers. Yes, we do, there is a revolution that is needed for sure. And you know that I've been saying for years, male insecurity is the most dangerous force in the world. I do believe that. Um, yeah, I mean it's terrible. And 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 Dan, if I'm not mistaken, I think you recently retweeted something about um, uh, a crazy sexual assault case that's happening in the military right now, um, or happened. I, I I can't necessarily remember it, but um, yeah, these things tend to happen when you have power structures that are dominated by men. Um, The women that, you know, are are ambitious enough and intelligent enough to reach these levels, they, you know, sadly, a lot of times things like this happen. And, And a lot of them have stories about it, too.
0: We now turn to more world news. Where in Myanmar, a uh, situation is very tense. Earlier in the year, um, there was an election that took place, um, where basically someone who had been deeply involved in Myanmar politics, um, a woman by the name of Aung San Suu Kyi, was elected in the elections to be the next leader of Myanmar. Now, um, the history of Myanmar, previously known as Burma, has been full of, especially in the um, latter half of the 20th century, as a result of British involvement, has been in the hands back and forth of, you know, leaders that have been appointed through like this and that connection to the world um, stage or military dictatorship. And since the military dictatorship doesn't really want to let go of power, seeing that Aung San Suu Kyi has been elected they are taking out to the streets and not letting go of power. So Aung San Suu Kyi is in an undisclosed location in Myanmar, kind of waiting out the results, seeing what's happening. Meanwhile, there are protests going on in the streets of Myanmar that are brutal and gruesome in a way that, like, I don't think people are really kind of understanding here. I think some of the numbers were that um, 500 people or so had been killed by the military in just, like, protests that were happening over the past... um, month or so, like on the 27th of March, according to the BBC, more than 100 people were killed, and those numbers expected to rise. Um, It's like an outright massacre that's happening here. Um, This is the February 1st coup, that's what I've been trying to say. More than 400 people have died. So, this has been going on for about two months now, and civilians are just getting um, killed for trying to protest um, having this, you know, having their democratically elected government. And So, I think in the context of all the voting issues we're having in the United States that I talked about, that we talked about in this earlier episode, um, the range of voting and the desire to suppress the vote by powerful conservative governments um, exists all across the world and it's happening as an ongoing process. Um, But obviously in different countries, there are different um, levels of what these powerful people feel like they can get away with. Obviously, if this starts to happen in America... um, usually like protests will happen and um, there'll be like cases around it even though we'll be gone through the sort of like kangaroo court of of the American judicial system but on the other side of the spectrum in Myanmar uh, the military's outright opening fire on um, people for protesting their supposed to be human rights that they have so it's really like shocking story that's going on there I want to know what y'all think
2: um when I was reading about it I mean, you just brought it up like exactly how I was thinking. Like we had an election here that um, for all intents and purposes was actively trying to be stolen by the loser um, of the election. If, if he was able to steal, like if Trump was able to like stay in power however, there would have been a lot of protests in the street and it wouldn't have been far like we could have had a, the same situation here, because he would have for sure had to declare some kind of level of martial law, um, for sure try to you know suspend uh, habeas corpus and do all these different things, and who knows the, the there could have been the military firing on protesters. I mean, it seems far fetched, but we could have uh, obviously not easily, but but. When I was reading, I was reading an article in CNN about it, and it's just like, man, like how far were we away from something like that here? Um, when whenever you have a young democracy, I feel like that's something that the people fear or have us, or and and you know, this kind of goes back to something Caesar was saying earlier about when we were talking about Georgia, uh, talking about like voting in America it's not only voting it's like you're voting your vote matters you know some places you, you you know people go vote they used to go vote in Egypt you know like for president and different things it didn't matter um but here we like to feel like our vote matters in a lot of cases it does um but we don't want to get to a situation where our vote doesn't matter you know uh these people in, in Myanmar they went out to vote they, the the election was was overturned by the military. They're out to protest, and the military is firing on them. You know that—that's—that's that's dystopian.
0: Yeah, for sure. Anyone? I was muted.
1: Um, it's sad for the people of Myrma to have to endure through this, and to anybody really who's wanting democracy, wanting to have a a voice have a real meaningful purpose in their own government in their own um daily lives and structure with all of that and to have all that crap go down just shows that there's so many things that stem from stem from old world history really from like all of the stuff that burma has gone through because it's still a really young democracy i mean all of the stuff under colonial rule, I mean that was only that wasn't even hundred years ago yet. It was still it was I think in nineteen forty eight or forty nine when it um, ceased being a British colony and stuff. So all that's a lot of this stuff you see now stem from stuff that happened in the past in the in the twentieth century. So it's something that I still want countries to learn upon, still want countries to do better upon, is to let people be able to voice their concern and let people be able to voice their opinions in this and not stem down and just stomp down and be an authoritarian. It's something that I'm very vehemently against. And as Bam was saying earlier, that something that could have happened in this country too, you could have had, um, I mean, obviously you had it where people, the one party... Um, The loser was trying to steal the election for himself and trying to do something along the lines of that. But you can see it in other countries that it still goes on in the world today, that um, there's a lot of people that are being oppressed. There's a lot of stuff that's going on that we need to talk about more. We need to have that more in the mainstream um, consciousness of, at least in America, because America is so self-centered, to have more brought up so that way people can get an understanding of what it could look like here if things don't change. What it could look like in general if we didn't have system like steps and systems of the government to help prevent against um, situations like that. And that we are fortunate to live where we are now, but we always need to continue to move forward and push forward as much as we can, so that way we don't revert back to darker times in our history and then in, in darker times of histories of countries around the world as well. So it's a big learning lesson for that. And I really feel for those people.
3: Um, that's one thing I want to say about this show. Uh, I think that we do a great job of like, especially you, Dan, especially we setting it up. But I think there's a great balance of, you know, politics from this country, local politics even, uh, and geopolitics too. I think that's great because... Uh, oftentimes we get so enveloped in like the issues that surround here that we don't take time to research and see what's going on around the world so we can draw examples of how a situation can turn out bad if if, if we don't take the proper steps here to save the democracy we have here and you know dust is a situation right that we just talked about so i think that you know, there, there's there, it's almost like reflective of what we said earlier. There's a lot of work to be done and that work needs to be done. So we don't get to to situations where where the extreme is basic behaviors are happening and and, and, and and it takes into extreme levels of voter suppression and violence. We don't want that. I, I always I always like to think about that time when when Trump was doing the announcement and saying that he's going to have his people watching and stuff like that and stand by. I think about that, and I think about how 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 violent that that line is, you know what I mean, so we don't want that, and we're not gonna have that happen here at Le- least least as long as I'm doing the show,
0: <laughs> damn right like there's and I'll also point out like the little bit of like a wrench into this, so like a lot of times it's easy to make these cases as, oh, there's a military dictatorship and there's a democratically elected leader. Obviously, we support the democratically elected leader. But even there's some criticism of Aung San Suu Kyi and her denial of the persecution of Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, um, basically saying that, like, oh, it's not happening when it's very clear that, um, like, in a lot of places in the region, in Southeast Asia around there, um, Muslims are persecuted, run out of their towns, homes. Um, in worse cases, such as, like, what we understand is happening in China, um, with uh, the Uyghur Muslim population, they're being held in internment camps. And we don't even know what's happening beyond that because the governments are so secretive. But usually governments don't keep secrets about things they love doing to people or they want to know publicly that they're doing to people. So like, I, it's important to also be able to approach these stories and say, the leaders, like, we're not picking a side and going, oh, we like this leader versus that leader necessarily at the end of the day, the leaders are the figureheads that we're seeing in the news, but the people who are like we care about are the regular everyday citizens of Myanmar who aren't like represented by a figurehead in the news, whether it's one in power that they had no other choice but to vote for because the alternative was a military dictatorship. Um, These are all very complicated things and it's not like an analogous comparison to the United States always, but the overall sense of the relationship that regular citizens have with their government in countries like Myanmar, in countries like Australia, in countries like the United States, I think is something that can be comparable when we start to understand international struggles and how we can start to um, overtopple topple these power structures that aren't working for us, um, very clearly not working for us. But, um, oh, last thing, you want to go?
2: Uh, well, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, about Myanmar specifically, um, and I, I feel like this came up in one of the episodes that got deleted, maybe, or maybe it was the one with Yasmin. But um, you know, this is like a democratically elected leader, but there, but there's still a military dictatorship. You know, like her power doesn't isn't like like she has like some level of influence, but the military still has. The majority of the actual power in the same way that, um, in a similar way that we saw with Benazir Bhutto in Pakistan. Like, she was elected, she's the first female prime minister, and it was like great. And she had a lot of, you know, things that she wanted to do to improve Pakistan. But there's still this military that is like, she's never going to be able to, uh, you know, do do something against what they're doing and eventually she was assassinated um but even um Aung San uh, uh, Su Kyi Su Kyi I wonder if she like I don't not to necessarily give her a pass but I wonder if like she wasn't able to speak out what was going on, wh- about what was going on against Rohingya for fear of her own life or her own situation like I wonder if like you know whatever's going on with the military she's like you know, I, I don't have any control over that. And I remember Benazir Bhutto, she was saying the same thing. She's like, I can't, like, she's like, I didn't even know about, like, things in, in, in regards to our nuclear program and stuff like that. Like, there were so many facilities I didn't even know about. And 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 then, like, some somebody just, like, happened to tell me, um, you know, this is the issue when we have military dictatorships and you gotta have, like, the, the military can't have that much power to have a true democracy. There There has to be, like ways of balancing that stuff out. And there are so many
0: examples of nations like that. 100%. Well, that is the chapstick drop that marks the end of Power Report right there. Um, So make sure you check out Bam and Caesar, who can be found on We Made It podcast. Uh, Bam himself doing stuff with Free Discussion Society. Uh, Caesar, we've got We Made It Seize streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Right? Both? okay. Yeah.
3: Primarily Twitch. Um, yeah. You find me on Twitch, Monday Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, 630.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bam. Where's the next FDS?
2: I uh, do not know, but we will be talking about astrology. Uh, big request to talk about astrology. So uh-huh. I don't know when it'll be, it'll be sometime in April but we will be talking about the Zodiac Killer. Just just joking, the Zodiac. Oh, God. <laughs> I,
3: ne- I never missed an episode. I never missed the uh, uh, FDS.
0: Except for the times you do. I-, I bet it will be a very Aries kind of conversation that we have on um, FDS, for sure. Aries. Um, oh, Sean, what's up on Audio Face?
1: Audio Face is a music podcast that Dan and I can be found at. Um, you- if you listen to Powerpoint, you already know about Audio Face. We do the music stuff. And um, you can find us at YouTube to audio face, uh, right. um, do all that stuff. You
3: know? you well, what a great promo from Sean. But I just want to say that uh, the audio <laughs>
1: face, my favorite audio face, Dan's
3: like, well, I hate you. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite uh, audio face. I just watched you guys as um, Daft Punk uh, episode. Hey. I thought That was great. You know, as a, as a Daft Punk fan myself. I loved uh, some of those. Images. Honestly, i never seen some of those pictures you guys dropped either. I've never seen some of those. So that was really cool. I definitely recommend anybody the, to check out it, especially that segment. Uh, definitely not the one about some art rappers in the past, but that one I definitely recommend. That one will get you to subscribe. Button. The other one, That one is a subscribe for sure.
0: Someone heard the 24 Karat it. Gold review
3: and doesn't like it. <laughs> Only reason I knew about 24 Karat Gold, I saw him be a host of a basketball uh, rapper show. So I don't even know. But yeah, f- a lot of faces brought light to me. 24-karat golden or With fucking um,
0: offsets shooting foul shots for the NCAA. Um. Lo- loved it. <laughs> anyways um yeah check out audio face we're going to be doing a lot of bonus episodes uh music recommendations episode coming very shortly after this power report episode drops but also check out all the dan from the internet stuff i'm doing it's youtube.com slash dan from the internet you're probably already here uh power report world for all of the links to the podcast and follow me on twitter at Dan from the web for all the other associated things i do and where, where fam gets his news apparently um but thank you for coming and watching this episode of power report we'll join you again in two weeks take care